0: said we come in here with our burdens we come in here with our storms and just because we're in this room doesn't mean that those things all go away i feel that this morning but as we come to the lord in prayer this song that we have sang a million times in this building song that i have sang so much to, to to our god is not simply a song that we sing but it should be our prayer so I'm going to ask you to bow your eyes, or bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to ask the worship team, will you, like, from the bridge, just go through that song again? And I, church family, I'm not going to ask you to sing this song to the Lord again. I'm going to ask you to pray it to Him. Would you recognize how great our God is this morning? Would you give all that you have to him every hour and every second? Would you praise him for who he is and let your life be an act of worship to this God who deserves all the praise?
1: Every breath that I take, it is for you. Every move that I make, it is towards you. I will bow down my life here before you. Singing holy, holy, every breath that I take it is for You. Every move that I make it is towards You. I will bow down my life here before You, singing holy, holy. Every breath that I take it is for You. Every move that I make is towards you I will bow down my life here before you Singing holy, holy I won't let the rocks cry out I'll shout from the mountaintops Let everything I am reveal The glory of how great you are I won't let a breath go by and miss the chance to lift you high. Let everything I am declare the story of how great you are. How great you are. How great you, are. How great you are. Second, every heartbreak, every blessing, Lord, you can have it all.
0: Dear Heavenly Father, we give all that we have to you because it is all yours. You have given us every breath, you have given us every moment, every opportunity every hardship, every joy. Lord, we lay all that we have down at your feet today. Father, knowing that it is yours. Lord, I thank you for bringing us to this place this morning. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive which you have for us, Lord, and help us to have this attitude of all glory to you. Let our lives and our hearts bring all glory to you, God. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to worship communally, publicly this morning. Lord, as we know, so many do not have this same opportunity across the world. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters this morning. Lord, we pray for them the same as we would pray for ourselves. Lord, help us all to bow down on our knees, Father, and give you all the glory with all that we have. Lord, I pray for David this morning as he comes to preach your word. Lord, would you speak through him, speak to him. Lord, we pray that your glory may be revealed this morning. Father, we love you. You are eternally great. And for that we praise you. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. You may be seated.
2: You know, David got it. He understood. He understood the weight. The things that came his way, the things that weighed him down. Today we're looking at Psalm 109. It's okay. Psalm 109, which is not just an imprecatory psalm. I'll tell you what that is in a second if you don't know. It's considered the, the most intense, the strongest, though worst if you will of the imprecations of the imprecatory psalms uh, imprecation is simply a curse it's calling down a curse and in this one david is intense some have even said this is not in any way a christian psalm but that's not really true we just have to understand it rightly and i hope we can today but I hope that you can find encouragement in this psalm wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, and able to learn from David and be able to respond ultimately in the way David responds. And, and we'll see how in the midst of the worst, <laughs> he turns his face toward, toward God. Now, for us to understand this rightly, we need to we need to be clear on how to look at, respond to um, an imprecatory psalm in general. We need to understand what it is, and uh, there are five things that uh, I have found, and and one of the things that I'm I'm grateful for is godly teachers and scholars who uh, have also looked at this, and and I found this from Ligan Duncan as he as he talks about these five considerations about imprecation which is calling down the curse of God on a person on a group of people whatever it is and perhaps you've been in a position where you would like to bring your own imprecation right you know you just want to let it fly but we need to understand how to read it how to understand it and what our calling is in the midst of it so the first thing that we need to consider is that uh, an imprecatory psalm needs to be seen in light of an attack on God himself. And we understand that because David was the king. David was God's anointed. God, the king was representative of God's chosen people. And so when there was an attack on God's king, which was a part of his redemptive work uh, In the overall picture of redemption, it was seen as an attack on God himself. So when you see David being attacked as the king of Israel, you can think of that by fast-forwarding and thinking of the fact that Jesus is the king of kings and the attacks were made on him, which is an attack on God himself. And so it, it raises the level. It removes it from being just a guy who was offended or hurt and he's trying to call down curses like the sons of thunder did. Hey, Jesus, you want us to bring down a curse and strike them dead? Jesus, like, no. All right, so no, you know, take care of that. But it was an attack on God Himself, and so when you're looking at an imprecatory psalm, you need to understand that that it's a, a higher level. Secondly, the curses are all deserved. They're not calling curses down on innocent people they're not just getting angry and letting it fly they are deserved curses brought by God's anointed who is often a a mouthpiece himself as a prophet for God himself the other thing about that is all of the uh, the imprecations they voice curses that will come to pass that are going to happen there are going to be people who fall under this curse and what that should do to us is for us to understand that those are people who without the gospel, they will die in their sin. We're gonna go a little bit more in depth to that in a few minutes uh, and, and what that, the implication of the implication is. Thirdly, even as extensive and intensive. As the, the imprecations are that you'll hear in a few minutes, even as bad as they are, David doesn't take it into his own hands. You'll see that he gives it to the Lord. I mean, this is a prayer to God. It's a calling out to God, but he doesn't say, I will take, take this into my own hands and bring this about. After all, he was king. A lot of the things that he talks about that he, he lifts as a curse are things he could have brought about in their lives. But he didn't. You and I are not called to that kind of ministry either, if you want to call it that. Fifthly. Let me say fourth. It is right to desire the punishment of evil and the vindication of God's people. If you have gone through a time where you have seen or heard somebody really being hurt, they have been unjustly accused, they have been unjustly attacked, There is an indignation that rises within you. If you felt it, just think about that. You get angry on behalf of that person. You get angry at the situation. You get angry that they're having to undergo that. And that then is a righteous indignation. That is a good thing. It is good to want evil to be stopped, to to want evil to be punished. That is a righteous thing. And so we need to differentiate that from just anger to understanding that we want as God's people made in his image we want what is right and just and good we want mercy when mercy can be given but we need judgment when it is right. And fifthly it is right to desire the wicked to turn from their evil ways. It is good when we're looking on this side of the cross back, we understand what Christ has done to overcome evil, and it is right, and it is proper. It is improper for us to tie in the individual who is doing wicked with the fact that with the belief that they are unredeemable. But it is a good thing and we should want and pray for the people that are doing the attacking to, be, to encounter the gospel, to encounter Christ himself. Our response needs to be different from the world. In Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, this is what Jesus says we're to do. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Think about how heavy that is. Pray for those who persecute you. The ones who are doing evil against you, pray for them. Why? So that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on. On the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And I'm going to tell you before I read this verse, this is the part, this next thing is what I struggle with. It's the hard part. Praying for somebody who's persecuting you is one thing, because you're doing that in private. You're doing that separate. From what has happened to you, from the people who have done this to you. But he says, and if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary <coughs> ordinary, excuse me? <coughs> Don't even the Gentiles do the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Greeting, that's a whole new thing, man. That's like when I encounter somebody that's hurt me, how am I gonna deal with that? How am I going to face that? If I am out to honor Jesus, I'm going to greet them with love and compassion and a desire to see them know and trust the Lord, to find repentance if necessary, and to be blessed by the Lord. I got to tell you, the easiest thing is just to avoid it. I've had my share of that, right? But if somebody's hurt you, what do you want to do? want to seek them out and say hey i know you're i know you've done this to me but i want to make things right it doesn't sound right though does it but how we interact reflects on the work of christ in our life and so it sounds counterintuitive it sounds difficult it sounds sometimes absolutely crazy but what what Jesus is saying is "There, yeah, it is. Because normal people, normal people of the world, they're going to they're gonna handle things the way you want to. But I've called you to be different, and my love is supernatural so that my working in you creates and causes a supernatural reaction. Does that mean it's always going to work out? No, I don't know that it did for David. I'm not sure. We're not told exactly. But I do know... That when we are called and redeemed, we are redeemed to something as well as from something. We've got to figure out how we're going to live our lives. One of the things I love about this psalm is the way David starts it. So let me just give you kind of a breakdown. So verse 1, a lot of commentators and scholars will do this in four parts. I think there are five. I think the first part is the first verse. And it's it's a it's a call to it's a call to praise, it is a it's a call to how did I write it here? A call to God. David is just calling out to God in verse one, and I think there's some things we can, we need to see and even what he says in that one little verse. Verses two through five are his complaint. It is his complaint to God. Now we can say that it's a prayer, and you just complain it. And that's okay. That's okay. If we're going to complain, it's better to complain to God than to everybody else. But in verses 6 through 20, that's where we get into the imprecation. That's where he takes the gloves off. And he's going bare knuckle with them. In verses 21 to 29, David offers a prayer to God. And then 30 and 31 is his, his commitment to God. What he commits to in light of all that he's done. So the really important thing, the thing I love about how he starts, is in verse 1, he says, God of my praise, do not be silent. How does David start off an imprecatory psalm? God, you are God of my praise. You are the God I worship. You are the God I come to. You're the God I fall before. You're the God I cry out to. You are the God of my praise. He starts with an acknowledgment of who God is and why it is that he brings this to God. Lord, you're everything to me. When you're going through the hard times, can you make that declaration? God, you are the God of my praise. David is going through a time where it doesn't feel like there's much to praise God about. Right? He's, he's not going through happy times. This is not a happy moment. This is not a feel-good moment. It's one of the toughest times because it's one of the toughest psalms that he wrote. But he's saying, you're the God of my praise. I praise you for your good. What's the other thing? I know you're in control. Right? So whatever you're going through, whatever darkness you're going through, whatever challenge you're going through, you need to get to the place. And you may have to deal with this. You may have to to wrestle through this. But you need to get to the place where you remember and know that God is the God of my praise because he's good and he's in control. And if he is good and he's in control, that is praiseworthy. That right there, apart from the circumstances, because God is the God of the circumstances. But if you know he's good all the time, and all the time he's good, and you know he's in control of everything, <laughs> if, if it's called a thing, God's uh, in control of it. If there is a thing to be looked at or seen or felt, God is over that he says God you are the God of my praise and then he say, he says this do not be silent don't be silent what is he saying God speak All right if we turn that around God speak what David knows is what we came to understand in the New Testament is that God has the power because he's good and he's, he has the power to end this with a word. He can change it all with a word. I'm going to ask you, do you believe that? If you're in your boat and you're trying to cross to the other side and the waves and the wind have picked up and they've started to swirl and the waves have started to crash over your boat, do you believe that he can stand up in the boat, because he's there, and say, peace be still, and that it will stop. Do you believe that? Folks, we have to believe that. If we don't believe that right now in our hearts, I'm not saying that this is your ultimate overall feeling towards God, but in this moment, we are, we are worshiping a lesser God. Do you, do you understand that? Am I making trite of it? No, I'm just saying the reality is. Take away the feelings, take away the emotions, look at the fact. The fact is, if we are not acknowledging in this moment, in this circumstance, that God is able to stop it with a word, we are worshiping a lesser God. A lesser God than who he really is. So, what do you do in that? If you're feeling that, if you're struggling with that, Own it. Acknowledge it. That's okay. Take it before the Lord. Remember the man who said, I I believe, help my unbelief? God, I I am struggling to believe you right now. I acknowledge that I am not seeing you for who you are in this situation. Will you meet me where I am? God is a God of mercy and of grace. He will meet you where you are And he will help you deal with it in that moment and in that place. But if you don't acknowledge it and you don't do business with God and and do something about this, you'll continue in that mode. You'll continue serving somebody and praising and worshiping somebody that isn't the real somebody. And we will be diminishing his glory, diminishing his power in our lives. Why am I saying this? Because, man, if you're going through it, I want you to have it all. I want you to have all the resource. I want you to have all of God's presence and power manifesting in your life. I want you to be able to go through the storm if you have to. But because God has the power, you're going to keep praying. Did David do that? Yeah. If you look down at verse 4, when he said, In return for my love, they accuse me, but I continue to pray. I keep praying. David Regardless of what he was struggling with otherwise, he knew that God was good and in control. He knew that God could speak it in a word, and that motivated him to keep on praying, right? It's like, well, it didn't happen today. It didn't happen yesterday, but, Lord, I'm bringing it back to you because I know you can stop it today. I know you can end this. I know you can heal this. I know you can make this whole. It didn't happen yesterday again, but I'm going to keep going because I know you can do this. See, what we can do, what is within our power, is to keep going to the source of power. What we can't do is thwart his plan. So if he's not going to end it today, then he's got a plan to get you through it and to do something in you. And that is all matters of faith. And we know faith is a gift from the Lord. So if you're struggling, ask for more faith. God, would you get me there? I'm listening to David right now, and I, I can say yes and amen, Generally, but yes and amen specifically is coming hard. And and I'm being honest with you, Lord. I'm being real with you. It's just not coming. The other thing that you can do is you can make sure that you are surrounding yourself with people who will keep telling you those things. Keep reinforcing the truth in your life. And God can use that as a means of grace to build your faith. It can be a a means of faith being built within you. That's why we have the church. That's why it's called the body. That's why it's a family. Because we hold each other accountable. We also hold each other up. Right? Like earlier when we were praying, it was like, I, I I hope you took part in that. And I hope that if you're not going through something, you were praying for whoever it is, wherever, that God would be there. Their comfort, their provision. We do it in prayer, and we do it in words, and we do it in actions. Are you doing that in your own life? So, this is a call to God. It is a call to God. And and that's important because it sets the foundation, right? He doesn't start with the complaint. Because that would lay the foundation. He didn't come, and which I've got to tell you, a lot of times, that's my prayer. My prayer is my needs. And so the foundation of my prayer is, God, I need. God, help me. God, here's the problem. God, deal with this. When the foundation of our prayer should be, God, you are worthy just because you are. Not because of what you do. You are because of what you do. But you're worthy just because of who you are, and I trust you. Now, here is what I need. Here's what I have. Here's what's happening in my life. And so that's what David does here in verse 2. He tells us exactly what, he doesn't make us guess. He's telling us exactly what he's dealing with. And we don't have names, but that's fine. We know that we could probably put in a lot of names ourselves, right? But he says, for wicked and deceitful mouths open against me, they speak against me with lying tongues. They surround me with hateful words and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I continue to pray. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my love. So what do we call that in modern terms? What is, he, what is happening to him? Let's recap. Deceitful mouths are speaking against him. Hateful words are surrounding him. They're attacking without cause. So he's not confessing anything because of this. He's saying, I didn't do anything. Truly, I didn't do anything. Now, I mean, David was perfect, but when he's saying "What what they're coming at me with, I didn't do. I didn't do that. But they repay me evil, even over the love that I have given. They have hatred for my love. We call that character assassination, right? They were just coming at him. They were coming at him for no cause. They determined they didn't like him, whatever. I don't know what the circumstances are. But you know what that looks like. Many of you have probably felt that. You've had people that just come at you. You don't know why. You don't think you did anything. You know you didn't do anything. And how do you respond in that? Do we respond in the way that we looked at that Jesus instructed us to? But we do know this, he took it to the Lord. So that's his complaint. This is what I, this is what I'm dealing with. And we know that it's really heavy because over in 24, I think it is, yeah, in verse 24 he says, my knees are weak, no, 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 uh, 23, I fade away like a lengthening shadow. It's overcoming him, it's overwhelming him. I am fading away like a lengthening shadow. What happens when character assassination comes at you, when accusations come at you? Especially if you go, I didn't do anything. I didn't do that. Eventually you start to to question everything. You start to go, is this true? Is this true to me about me? And you start to just feel the weight of it almost like you're fading away like a lengthening shadow. Your confidence in who you are, your confidence in what you believe, and even your confidence about what you said. It can can get you. And David was falling under the weight of this. Such to the point that in verse 6, he starts the curse. Fasten your seatbelts. Set a wicked person over him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged... Let him be found guilty, and let his prayer be counted as sin. Let his days be few, let another take over his position. Let his children be fatherless, and his wife a widow. Ouch. Let his children wander as beggars, searching for food far from their demolished homes. Let a creditor seize all he has, let strangers plunder what he has worked for, let no one show him kindness, let no one be gracious to his fatherless children. Let the line of his descendants be cut off, let their name be blotted out in the next generation, let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. And do not let his mother's sin be blotted out, by the way. I'm sort of like, wow, he went to the mother too. Let their sins always remain before the Lord, and let him remove all memory of them from the earth. For he did not think to show show kindness, but pursued the suffering, the needy, and the brokenhearted in order to put them to death. He loved cursing. Let it fall on him. He took no delight in blessing. Let it be far from him. He wore cursing like a coat. Let it enter his body like water and go into his bones like oil. Let it be like a robe he wraps around himself, like a belt he always wears. Let his... Uh, let this be the Lord's payment to my accusers, to those who speak evil against me. We <sighs> take a breath. Now, he unleashed it, didn't he? He went after everybody. I'm surprised he didn't say something about Fido, his dog, too. But he goes after everything, hard and fast. Now, one of the things I want to point out to you about this section is especially verses 16 through 20. So David, I mean, he unleashes on him. Let this, let this happen. Let this, let this, let this. Let this. But then in 16 through 20, one of those things that we looked at about an imprecatory psalm is it's deserved evil. And so when you look at this, you go, yeah, yeah. He, he didn't show kindness, but pursued suffering of the needy and the brokenhearted in order to put them to death. They loved cursing, like bringing curses down on them, let it fall on them. Took no delight in blessing. He wore cursing like his coat. What else did he say? Let this be the, Lord. yeah, this be the Lord's payment for him. Because he, he was, the he, and we'll get into that in just a second, was doing these things not just to David, but it seems like this is who these people were. Now, what I want you to notice, I gave you a hint about, is that in verses 1 through 5, they. So it's a plural. They. But as soon as he hit six. He turns it immediately to he. Now that seems interesting to me. I mean, it seems like there's something going on there. And I, I don't know if we can fully decide on what's going on here. Scholars vary on, on what this means. That, they've given different ideas. Uh, one scho- some scholars say he represents them. And, and you kind of get that uh, when he says, let this be the Lord's payment to my accusers, to those who speak evil against me. So he starts off in the plural. He goes to the first person and then he comes back, uh, or comes to the singular, and then he comes back to the plural in that last part, verse 20. So it could be that he is simply saying, I'm going to use this gender-neutral he to be representative of all of the they. And that that certainly sounds like it makes sense. Um, other scholars, and, and Kidner is Uh, Derek Kinder is in this one, believes that David is God's mouthpiece pronouncing judgment on the evil. And this would fit what we talked about earlier about uh, David being the anointed king, a part of the redemptive plan. And often he speaks prophetically. And so he's bringing judgment on evil acts like that, um, which he also rightly points out. That's not our function. That's not our job. Right. God says, Romans 12, Paul said, Uh, that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. So we leave it in his hands. But he also makes an important point regarding the usage here of verse 20. In verse 20, no, 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 it's in Acts 20, uh, 120 is the parallel, but it's in verse 8, let his days be few, let another take over his position. And that gets into sort of a theological issue. Because in Acts one twenty, Peter quotes this verse in reference to Judas, who has betrayed Jesus. And so when you start looking at this, and an accuser is used at least twice in this passage, Judas was a he, but who is the one who entered into Judas and drove the bus? It was the accuser, the accuser, the adversary, right? The one who is the enemy, who is the source of all that is evil. It is that one. That's important because when we start dealing with this, when we start dealing with these kind of things in our own lives, our desire is, is some, some, some kind of flesh and blood to, to blame this on and to go after. It's like I want to see that person destroyed, right? Because they have been evil towards me. I want to I want to see them undone. But we're reminded that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our enemy is not people with skin on, it is the adversary. And all of these things that David is saying, they are the culmination of a curse of death so we have to remember and thank the lord that that he is gracious to us because let's be honest apart from christ every single one of us deserve every bit of this curse right before we start feeling all noble and high and mighty and above everyone else who has fallen into this category apart from christ we all get the same curse but I'm not like that. Man, you sinned against the holy God. You are that bad. You rebelled against the holy God. You are that bad. You deserve that. That's the plural you, which includes me personally. Apart from the work of Christ, we would be as hopeless as the one who falls under that curse. But notice this too. Jesus actually is the one who endured that curse. Jesus did receive that curse. And because he took on that curse willingly, the curse of God, right? This is uh, imprecation. This is David calling out for the curse of God to be on these people or this person. And Jesus stood and voluntarily took the wrath of God on himself so that you and I could walk free as we trust in him, as we believe, and as we repent. What does that lead us to do? Praise you. Praise you, God. It's humbling when you really think about it. It's field leveling Right? Because in my mind, I can rank people all over the place. <laughs> I I'll rank you high because you're really nice to me. I rank you very low because you've done some dirty things to me. You've said some bad things about me. But the field is level at the cross. And so, our response should be that of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. But there's another part of the Sermon on the Mount, and it helps us get a persp- perspective. And in Matthew chapter 5, he had these things that have been called the Beatitudes, and it's they're blessed. Blessed be this, or blessed be that. We get the name Beatitudes. Um, verse eight is what he says our attitude should be when those kinds of character assassinations, especially if they are because of what we believe or where we stand, what we represent. Right? If if we declare the name of Jesus. And and we are persecuted because of things we did not do, then it reflects badly on the name of Jesus, right? But Jesus takes care of that. And so he says this blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We could probably do a sermon on every single one of these. We probably will at some point. Blessed are the pure in heart. You are not going to be pure in heart if you harbor bitterness within your mind. We're not going to be pure in heart. But blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are you, I'm saying this to you, blessed are you. Who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that's how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, what do you do if you're finding yourself, you're not feeling very pure in heart? Number one, remember the fact that if you have trusted in Jesus, you are purified. You are purified positionally. But if you're finding that you're not living that purity out in your life, that's just a call to repent, to, to come before Jesus. He says you will find mercy. And then learn to count those things as as blessed, because Jesus outranks anybody else who says anything other to you. We find our identity. Uh, we don't. I'm, when I say this, it's not that we don't do this, but ultimately we find our identity not in other people and their opinions of us, because they're all over the place, right? So if if you are building me up, oh, I feel great about myself. Well, I'm kind of building my identity on you. Tomorrow, if you come and start beating me down, same thing, the other way. But if we learn to find our identity in Jesus and Jesus alone, I'm I'm almost hesitant to say this because I know I've struggled big time, but I know this is true. So I'm going to state it because it's true, even if I wrestle with it, and I do. If we find our identity in Jesus, then the words of others will fall flat. They do. You take away the power of those words, right? Because Jesus already has, right? So so Jesus has taken away the power of the words because he's given you your identity. He tells you who you are. But when those words have no effect on you because you're focused on what Jesus says about you, You've removed the power. You've removed the sting from their words. And if that happens, you've removed that sting because Jesus has told you who you are, how you respond to them will be different. He's like, I'm not so angry at them because I know who I am in Jesus. I know that what they're saying isn't true, so I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to say evil things about them. I'm not going to get in a tit-for-tat. I'm going to be okay with who Jesus says that I am. Then David goes to a prayer after this. And in verses um, 21 to 29, here's his prayer. But you, dear Lord, but you, Lord, my Lord, deal kindly with me for your name's sake, because your faithful love is good. Rescue me. For I am suffering and needy. My heart is wounded within me. I fade away like a lengthening shadow. I'm shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak from fasting, and my body is emaciated. I have become an object of ridicule to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their heads in scorn. Help me, Lord God. Save me according to your faithful love, so they may know that this is your hand, and that you, Lord, have done it. Though they curse, you will bless. When they rise up, they will be put to shame. But your servant will rejoice. My accusers will be clothed with disgrace. They will wear their shame like a cloak. I want to ask you a question about this. When David prays this prayer to God, what is the basis of his prayer? Look at it. What's the basis of his prayer? Does he say, Lord, Lord, my Lord, deal kindly with me because I've already told you I hadn't done nothing wrong. Is that his basis of, of his prayer? Lord, deal kindly with me because I'm yours. I'm your anointed king. Deal kindly with me because of my position as king. We can say because of my position as a, as a follower of Jesus. You're getting close when you say that. Because he says, what? Deal faithly, faithful and kindly with me for your name's sake, for your glory, so that you will get glory. And deal kindly with me, why? Because of your faithful love. It's on the basis of who God is, not who David is. David does not make an appeal to him for anything about himself except to say, I am your faithful one. I'm your servant. But he goes to God and he asks this prayer on the basis of God's covenant love. That is the same basis. We can go to God on the basis of his covenant love, which we're under the covenant of the New Testament, of of the new covenant of Jesus covering our sins. We're coming under the the, uh, umbrella of his righteousness and faithfulness, and faithfulness is to himself and his own covenant. That's our standing. Just because he has lavished his love on us. But it's not because of our righteousness. It's not because, you know, they called me this and I didn't say anything back to them. Therefore, Lord, deliver me through this. It's not about you at all. It's not about you, thankfully, because that means it doesn't depend on you, too. So it's not about your righteousness, because that's not much to speak of. But it's also not about your unrighteousness. It's about Jesus and for His glory and for His namesake because of His covenant faithful love towards us. That's our standing. That's our authority is just simply going to Him on the basis of His love for us through His covenant, which is Jesus Christ. He says it again, by the way. Help me, Lord, my God, verse 26, save me According to your faithful love, so they may know that this is your hand. Right now, how are they going to know that this is your hand? How could David assure that God gets the glory? Now he can't. He has no power on external circumstances or other people. He he can't do that. But when he says, "God, when you do this, do this so that they know." You did this; that you get the glory for this. How can he assure that can happen? Well, that follows in his commitment. He says, "I will fervently thank the Lord with my mouth." That's important. Because he doesn't say with my heart, because I can be all day up here just saying, "Lord, you are so good; you are righteous and glory. But it becomes. The glory of God to the outside world when I open my mouth and I give him glory. David says, I will open my mouth and give you, I will give you the credit for the way you deliver me, the way you saved me. He says, I will praise him in the presence of many. I'm going to praise him out loud. Who, who got you through that, David? It's all God. It's to the glory of God, his gracious kindness, his faithfulness. He delivered me when I thought I was going down. He got me through this when I thought all was undone, when I thought the world was crumbling. God gets the praise and glory. And I will make sure that everybody around me knows that He gets the glory because I'm letting it known publicly. So when we say, Lord, I want you to do this for me for your glory, but are unwilling to glorify Him in our lives and in our words then we're trying to kind of say, Lord, I want a public deliverance in a private way. Which gets me off the hook of having to say something. But David says, uh-uh, uh-uh. Lord, get me through this. I want you to be glorified, and I will say it out loud. I will glorify you. Anybody who asks me, they're going to know that this is all God. Right? What is the reason for the hope that is within you, as Peter asks? He says, be reason." Be ready to give reason for the hope that is within you. It is an outside, outward expression. It's some sort of way of verbalizing it and living it out in living color. Where are you today in all of this? Where are you? Are you in the weight of it? Are you struggling to praise God in it? Let me just tell you, Don't ever give Satan a victory he doesn't deserve. And in case you're wondering which one of those are, that's none of them. He never gets, he never deserves to get a victory. And so don't let him win the victory of stealing your ability to praise the Lord in a storm. Because Jesus has made it possible. He's given you the hope already. It will one day, someday All be made right. But he may decide to make it right now. Either way, praise the Lord. Are you holding on tight? Are you trusting him? And are you giving him the glory? Even before the deliverance. Why? Because David hadn't been delivered. He hadn't been delivered, but he knew that God had this. And he knew, one way or another, he was going to do it. Trust Him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your reasoning. Don't lean on your speculation. Don't lean on your plans. Don't, think, don't lean on how you've got this figured out. Don't lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, every one that you have an option, all of your ways, in everything you do, everything you can, Acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. He will do it. Trust him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this confidence that we can have in you, Lord, that uh, is irrational to the world around us, that makes sense. It's fantasy, it's folly, it's bedtime stories, it's w- whatever, Lord, it's fiction. But God, we know because we've tasted and seen that you are good. So I pray for my brothers and sisters who are wrestling with some aspect of this. Give them victory over it. I thank you, Lord, because we have this hope due to your covenant love in Christ. So, Lord, as we wrap up this time of worship, Lord, remembering and celebrating This victory that we have through communion, may it be a time of reflection on the cost that was paid, but also on the victory won and our participation in it because of the mercy and grace of Jesus. Father, we have the victory. Let us feel and know and acknowledge the victory. In the name of Christ, amen.
1: rate.